Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Connecticut Costa Nostra. Tales of bootleggers, gamblers, murderers. Brought to you by Premier Subaru and Bradford's. So you got Frank Hayes, Waterbury. He'd barely scratched the surface of plundering that city. He'd soon be moving on to the entire state. He had the patience of a saint, but the soul of a sinner. A haze and haze alone could decide who worked for the Brass City. And what's more, obviously, who could be fired, too. It's a chapter in Connecticut often described, in those corners anyway, as whatever could be stolen was stolen. All kinds of crazy scams uh, played out. Some of them so outlandish, particularly, obviously, in hindsight, one's left to wonder if anyone was really watching what was going on at all. They were. It's just Hayes was a master of hiding in plain sight. For instance, one pal of his was billed on the city's budget as a trucker, even though he was a dentist who not only didn't own a truck, he couldn't drive one. West Haven today, anyone? Another pal, a local lawyer, was paid $126,000. This is almost 100 years ago. By City Hall to lobby for lower electric rates. He washed the money, Ozark, anyone? In the very bank, yes, bank, that cleaned all the Hayes bribe bucks. He kept 20 grand for himself, kicked back 120 grand to the Hayes gang. At least $600,000 in city funds were paid for contracting work that was never done. Fees of $175,000 were split between the Hayes team and vendors and contractors. Life was good and right out in the wide open. Fellow Waterbarian Dan Leary was Hayes' right-hand man in every sense of the popular term. Not only did he serve as comptroller, he was independently wealthy. He owned the Diamond Ginger Ale Company until the day he died. He's also the owner of Red Fox Brewery. A known brand to this day, it was made very clear to every watering hole in the Brass City that if they wanted to keep their licenses, i.e. stay open for business, they were to carry his brew. What rendered that even more frustrating was that it was notoriously awful. Those halcyon days of perfecting hops and barley in bathtubs, anyway. As for the Hartford mayor at the time, a guy named Frank Spellacy, becoming hip to Leary, looming large over businesses throughout one of the state's largest cities. Not only was hip to it, he got a piece of it. Kickbacks right along with Waterbury's former mayor, Francis Guilfoyle. Suffice it to say, the the Hayes gang had everybody's mouth shut, or if not that, then bloodied. To that end, one story that persists to this day is when one bookkeeper who was asking a few too many questions about all the curious names and jobs on this bloated payroll got sent to inquire about them personally of Leary. The response was that he was asking to be thrown out a window. Now, over in Bridgeport, uh, we're going to get to Bridgeport and Baby Doll. Wait until you hear about this guy. Uh, my whole life, Bridgeport, you know, it, it's had an, an onus. It was not the place you wanted to get a, a, a flat tire. 
uh, when I was a, a kid. Save for the Black Rock area, 19, uh, 1980s and 90s Bridgeport and beyond was simply put uh, troubled. But the Bridgeport of the late 1800s and early 1900s was one that sang another tune entirely. It was well on its way to becoming a major hub for manufacturing. That being the case, it was rife with opportunity, all while money was being made hand over fist. Again, those fists would get increasingly busy in the decades to come. But as 1920s neared, Bridgeport was, in many ways, a place to be. In 1914, the city's population doubled. That's how known it was that it was a Connecticut city on the rise, especially with its proximity to NYC. Bridgeport's Tenderloin District, faced the Pequod- I've never pronounced it, the Pequodoc River with State, Middle, and Wall Street all offering splendid views. Beautiful. The photos I've got a hold of, really something. As such, some of the more thriving enterprises set up shop there, including dressmaking factories. Enter Jimmy McNally. He ran the Alhambra Music Hall, a tenderloin top 10 spot just a few doors down on Middle Street from Otto Stanky's Saloon. I mean, that sounds like a great place. Uh, Stanky's was where the hookers could be found. Alhambra, where some tickling of the ivories and fiddle playing could be heard, and it was, the street was live. McNally's nom de plume was king of the green goods gang. As the saying goes, it was good to be king, and McNally would be for years to come. He was born on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, earned his formidable reputation as a green good dealer on those considerably faster-moving streets. Green goods green goods was a con man's way of luring someone into actually, get a load of this, buying counterfeit money at a fraction of the face value. So say you bought a phony $50 bill for $10, but the goal would be that some other stooge somewhere down the line would believe $50 is a real thing and thus pass it off for whatever they were looking to buy. So you were buying a fake $50 bill for 10. McNally's business boomed on the Lower East Side. He employed 35 to 40 people. He began venturing into Canada. His reach even extended to California. He preferred referring to it as a trade. It was a gig, it was a calling, the green goods trade. His view was that the buyer was the real crook and was furthermore quoted as even saying, if he loses his money, he certainly ought to. He's the bigger crook than I am because they knew they were buying phonies. A fractured philosophy, to be sure. Even the NYPD found McNally to be worthy of a certain level of respect. An infamous uh, New York City detective, Tom Burns, described him as industrious, educated, self-assured, ingenious, gifted, with a good knowledge of human nature. I mean, it sounds like it would have broken Burns' heart to bust this guy. Bridgeport basically played out to a degree as McNally's last hurrah. While he had reached the kind of heights there that afforded him a mansion in Fairfield Heights, valued at 30 grand, staggering amount given the era, McNally had always targeted the wealthy. Another trait that this Burns actually found Admirable. McNally's logic was that he was hitting those who could weather this financial storm, and what's more, would be too embarrassed to squeal. His run was a good one, 15 years, but then he was run out of Bridgeport. He moved on to a postal violation scam in the Windy City, but the Chicago PD were less in awe of McNally's educated Robin Hood shtick. He was arrested, did four years. By the time Bridgeport would really hit its stride, it was reported in the papers that the once revered McNally was by then, wild, homeless, 
a veritable pauper on the street. But he managed to remain a get as far as journalists were concerned. He regaled one reporter with the tale of being paralyzed on his entire right side, thanks to being hanged in jail, quote-unquote, on the devil's gate. By his wrists, as a punishment for not giving up more names, his Connecticut property was tied up in litigation, his wife's pricey baubles all gone. Yet McNally was always upbeat, reduced to waiting tables one year, appearing on stage the next, ostensibly as some kind of novelty act to gaze upon, thanks to the infamy he'd well earned. One night, McNally turned up at a new-er Bridgeport hotspot. And it generated front page news. It was actually written up. I got it in front of me. The Bridgeport Times and the Evening Farmer. Oh, he had clearly achieved folk hero status. It says Jimmy McNally was a visitor here Saturday. Finally dressed and except for a noticeable absence of that alluring smile, looked as well as ever. Like celebrity, Bridgeport's red light district, which many would say makes up more than ninety percent of the city today. It was quite small back then, boasting what were known in those days as dream parlors and hop joints. It all sounds so Americana, but they were, in actuality, Chinese laundries on the outside with back rooms rampant with prostitution and gambling dens inside. The pungent aroma of opium filling the air, penetrating the cacophony of chatter and music. Thousands of pounds of high-grade opium were being smoked there every year. Now we get to... Uh, baby doll, we get to Charlie Lee, a San Francisco transplant. He was the official Chinese interpreter for the Bridgeport City Court. It was a nice gig, especially when you're also running the most popular opium den in the district at the same time. Lee was content with his small but tasty piece of the pie, but others, particularly those, those born and raised in Bridgeport, worried the double-dipping West Coaster at heart would ultimately bore of just a taste, and would wind up wanting the whole pie, if not the bakery it was made in itself. Such was the life. The paydays outweighed paranoia. He was about to collide with Baby Doll. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.